This is the Lindell Report, bringing you news combined with hope by offering practical and achievable action points to assist you in defending and preserving faith and freedoms. And now, here is your host, Mike Lindell. Good evening and welcome to the Lindell Report. I'm Brandon House in for Mike, who is on business tonight. Joining me is going to be attorney, counselor, Kurt Olson. And then later in the broadcast, I'll be joined by Garland Favorito, who is, uh, well, got some big, huge breaking news down in Georgia today. I saw some rumblings of this in my daily research, called him up and he said, oh my, Brandon, it's big news. And so we'll have Garland joining us uh, just a little bit later. Uh, tonight in my broadcast, Brandon House Live, I'll be joined by three-star retired General General Thomas McInerney. I'll also be joined by Patrick Wood, uh, Steve Kirsch, and Mike Hammond. Again, more items than we even have time to get to. It's moving so fast and coming at us from so many different angles, but we're doing our very best. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Joining me now is Counselor Kurt Olson. Kurt, welcome back to Lindell TV and the Lindell Report. Hey, Brandon. Great to see you. You too, my friend. All right, so um, we've got some issues that we want to talk to you about. I'm just going to give you the floor, let you tell tell us what's happening. Um, but I guess maybe I'll back that up. I have a question for you personally. I saw a report where the Associated Press the other day was admitting that there are problems with these machines, uh, that, they, that votes can be changed. But then they wanted to tell us, but it didn't happen. Well, wait a minute. How do they know that? But isn't it something we're now getting the liberal press to admit what we've been saying now for, what, almost two years? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because the liberal press was all over the fact that voting machines could be hacked prior to 2020. I mean, you'll recall that for years, I mean, uh, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Klobuchar, then Senator Kamala Harris, all of the, the politicians and others were talking about how easy it is to hack our election system. Of course, back then they were saying that Russia hacked the election in 2016 or tried to, to benefit Donald Trump. And there were movies made about it, Kill Chain, HBO Special, uh, you know, and others, um, all you know, highlighting the, I don't even call these vulnerabilities. These are failures of these machines to protect our cherished right to vote to be free from interference. But come 2020, and then it's a memory hole. So it's the most secure election in history. You know, nothing to see here, move along. Uh, but what you're referring to now is the uh, a release by CISA, a public statement by CISA, that uh, they are due, according to a court filing, they said on May 19th, we're going to release this public statement on what has been known as the Halderman Report. And that's a report by Professor Halderman that was done last year, the 25,000 word report, according to him. It's been under seal for nearly a year. The court will not release it, won't show it to the public. Initially, the court wouldn't even release it to CISA. So if you recall, back in October, I was on your show, October of 21, because Professor Halderman had filed a declaration with the court saying, look, this is a matter of national security. I've identified failures in these machines that will allow them to steal votes, and I can show you exactly how it's done. And this affects the elections in 16 states. 
The court denied that motion, even to give it to CISA. Fast forward a couple months in December, the Georgia Star, I believe it was, picked up on this issue because we'd been pounding the table that there is this sealed report that shows how elections can be stolen in 16 states, you know, get people behind it to tell the judge and, and everyone else to get the word out that this has got to be released. The Georgia Star started writing about it. Georgia Secretary of State Rapsenberger reversed course because before he wouldn't even meet with Professor Haldeman. And he testified to that in a declaration that I tried to reach out to the Secretary of State's office to talk about these failures, but they won't meet with me. And mind you, they have a fiduciary obligation to their citizens to find out about these failures, but nothing to see here. In any event, Rapsenberger took out a press release and did a 180 and says, oh, I'm all for transparency. Release the report. Release the report. Uh, meanwhile, nothing happens. CISA finally wakes up. And in January, six months after Professor Haldeman had contacted them, and CISA enters an appearance in this case. This is the Curling v. Rafsenberger case in the federal court in Georgia. and says they filed a statement or a letter of interest. The, sec the Louisiana Secretary of State was one of the 16 states affected, tried to file a motion to intervene to find out what's going on. The judge denied that. CISA, meanwhile, is saying this report should be kept under seal while we're looking at it, don't disclose it to the public, and so forth. So we've gone for three months of that, three, four months. So on May 19th, CISA files a notice with the court saying we're going to release a public statement on June 3rd and about the Haldeman report and the findings. And But what they do is they leak that public statement to a few select news outlets in advance, such as the Washington Post and AP. And so those are the articles that, that you're seeing now. This, is, this was a leak by CISA to start framing the narrative, to get the press writing about it. Because what CISA is doing here, they're supposed to be guarding our election infrastructure. But what they're doing is they're not guarding it. They're trying to convince us that there's nothing wrong with it that there might be some vulnerabilities, but it's okay. So they actually state in the press release, there's a, a statement by the CISA director, that there was no evidence, of course, that any of the vulnerabilities or failures that uh, Professor Haldeman identified were ever actually exploited in any of the machines. And so you go, okay, you read that statement. But you know what? They did not do a forensic examination of the machines in those affected states. So how do they know? They didn't even look. And so, again, that just kind of exemplifies what the motive of CISA here is, to cover this up, to downplay these risks, and to basically try to convince the American public that these machines are safe and secure, which they're not. And I'm gonna add one other thing, CISA, which stands for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, whose task is to guard our infrastructure, did not uncover this, these failures that Professor Haldeman identified. Where were they? They were out to lunch, apparently. But Professor Haldeman found these failures because he had a Dominion voting machine. He had 12 weeks to examine it, which begs the question, why don't we all, why, why are these machines so secret that it takes a professor to be given access to a machine, and I believe it was in, in connection with the curling litigation, so it had been under a protective order, hence that his 
report is under seal. But why the secrecy? Why? I mean, CISA didn't know about this. Professor Haldeman, you know, is given access through a court proceeding that's under seal, finds these failures, these flaws. And so my question is, why, why the secrecy? Why isn't the why does it take a Professor Haldeman to even look at this? CISA didn't know about any of this for the years before that these machines were being used. And the public should have access to these machines. There should be nothing secret about the software, how these machines work, or anything else. I mean, again, these machines, they do two things. They read ballots and they count them. This isn't rocket science. This isn't some, uh, you know, like particularly a complicated uh, event. This is reading and counting votes for a public function. This is how we hold elections. This is how we know that the public can be assured that their vote actually counted, that the real winner is the real winner, not something that where ballots go into a machine and nobody knows what happens. And so this is about framing the issue. That, that is what CISA has been trying to do with this leaking of their state public statement that is going to be released tomorrow. So the 16, you, did you say there are 16 states that this is where this has happened? According to Professor Halderman, in a declaration that he filed that we talked about last October, he says the critical vulnerabilities, his phrase, that he's identified affect the machines used in 16 states, i.e. not just Georgia. And that there could be many other vulnerabilities that are yet undiscovered. Now, Professor Haldeman, I don't know if you have the clip. We played it the yes, last time. Yes, we do. Time, we do. But he testified, he testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee in 2017. His opening statement should set off alarm bells with everyone in terms of the safety or the security of these machines. Absolutely. Let, let's roll that clip, Logan. Can we please? Chairman Burr, Vice Chairman Warner, and members of the committee, thank you for inviting me to speak with you today about the security of U.S. elections. I'm a professor of computer science and have spent the last 10 years studying the electronic voting systems that our nation relies on. My conclusion from that work is that our highly computerized election infrastructure is vulnerable to sabotage and even to cyber attacks that could change votes. These realities risk making our election results more difficult for the American people to trust. I know America's voting machines are vulnerable because my colleagues and I have hacked them repeatedly as part of a decade of research studying the technology that operates elections and learning how to make it stronger. We've created attacks that can spread from machine to machine like a computer virus and silently change election outcomes. We've studied touchscreen and optical scan systems, and in every single case, we've found ways for attackers to sabotage machines and to steal votes. These capabilities are certainly within reach for America's enemies. As you know, states choose their own voting technology, and while some states are doing well with security, others are alarmingly vulnerable. This puts the entire nation at risk. In close elections, an attacker can probe the most important swing states or swing counties, find areas with the weakest protection, and strike there. 
In a close election year, changing a few votes in key uh, localities could be enough to tip national results. The key lesson from 2016 is that these threats are real. You know, what's interesting is that this Associated Press article says one of the most serious vulnerabilities could allow malicious code to spread from the election management system to machines throughout a jurisdiction, Holderman said. That's exactly what we have been saying for almost two years, that if you can, for instance, in Michigan, as attorney uh, Matt DiPerno, who's now running for attorney general, has found, if you can hack into one uh, precinct you know, computer, that would then get you into all of them. So there are multiple ways for this to spread, is there not, Kurt? There, there, are, there are multiple ways to for this to spread. There are multiple ways to to manipulate these machines. It can be done, for example, with the source code. It's long been known that the source code, which is basically software code that that you know allows the machine to function, you, a, a malicious actor could insert a small code in there that would allow an election to be stolen across the board. And that malicious code, I mean, that could be transferred laterally throughout a network. And, and just in what you're talking about, that's just one example. The you could take a USB with malicious code inserted into one machine, and then because they're connected, you know, often through a, a Wi-Fi network, they can be it can spread loudly. That's in it. That's separate and apart from you know simply hacking as we know it, accessing the computers remotely. Um, I mean, the, you know, take the uh, the Stuxnet virus. If yes. you recall that event, Iran. And so what happened there, at least has been reported, is that the Iranian nuclear facilities, some insider with a USB uh, device plugged it into one computer, and that virus spread loudly and took down their entire nuclear system. Yep. And that's just one example of how machines are so easy to exploit, how they can never be made secure. I mean, Professor Haldeman said one thing that I want to raise. One of the, the tropes that you hear is that, oh, we have logic and accuracy testing, we have risk-limiting audits, we have all these safety procedures. Well, Professor Halderman testified under oath in a declaration that he can defeat all of those known safety procedures. And that was in connection with the curling litigation. So again, we put CISA and, and, and the uh, voting machine companies and the politicians that are behind it now trying to say that these are safe and secure. This is a veneer of security. No computer can be made safe from hacking. And Professor Halderman has testified that he can defeat all the safety procedures that supposedly are designed to detect it. And one example of a recent failure of that is in Tennessee, the, AC, the EAC, the Election Assistance Commission, just put out a, a letter uh, completing an investigation to a finding, quote, there was an anomaly on a Dominion voting machine there, which was causing, I believe, ballots to be uh, transferred over to provisional status. So they weren't being counted. Nobody knew about it. But somebody did see something that raised us concern, started jumping up and down about it. Finally, the EAC uh, got involved and they issued, it was about a three-page letter dated, I believe, March 20th of this year where they, quote, they said, yes, there's an anomaly in the system. And then they also noted that there was, quote, erroneous code. Erroneous code on this voting system that apparently caused 
you know, these anomalies. And where did that code well, come how from? How did that get passed? Exactly. How, how, do, how do they know that? Where did it come from? How, how do we know someone didn't hack in and put that code in there? Exactly. Or how do we know that it wasn't inserted there to begin with? You know, the, the one thing that one thing that is not really talked about a lot is these voting machines, their primary components used are often manufactured or assembled in China. Absolutely. The supply vulnerability to these machines is extraordinary. And nothing is really being talked about that or done. I mean, so, for example, there's a there's example after example where Intel, Apple, Amazon have all been hacked because of a little tiny microchip on a motherboard that was manufactured in either Taiwan or China was sending all kinds of data back. And so we're at war. There's a cyber war. There are legions of Chinese military soldiers. They have uh, Colonel Sean Smith, who you've had on your show, is intimately familiar with this because his job at DOD for years was to assess the threats to our weapons and communication systems. He's just he's incredible and a wealth of knowledge. But he will tell you that there are groups of Chinese soldiers, anywhere from 50 to 300 typically, whose sole mission is to hack our, all of our systems, our commercial systems, our governmental systems, you know, anything. That's their job. This is a war to them. And so the idea that our systems are, you know, that these are one-off hacking events and that uh, we've detected them before and we've never seen them, that's just simply not true. Our systems are under continuous threat, whether it's our voting systems, whether it's our military systems, whether it's our communication or proprietary. And the fact that our supply chain vulnerabilities with these machines, that these are like Dell computers, basically. I mean, they're Dell components. It, it, there, there's no security. These machines could never, uh, I'm told, never pass any kind of DOD certification simply because of the supply chain vulnerability. Wow. You know, in this report, it says that Dominion systems have been unjustifiably maligned by people pushing the false narrative that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump. Well, that's the Associated Press reporting that. But how do they know that? Because they go to paragraph four to say, Holderman agrees that there's no evidence the vulnerabilities were exploited in the 2020 election, but that wasn't his mission, he said. He was looking for ways Dominion Democracy Suite ImageCast X voting system could be compromised. Touchscreen voting machines can be configured as ballot marking devices that produce a paper ballot or record votes electronically. And a statement Dominion defend the machines is accurate and secure. Of course they are. Of course they're going to. But reality is they have shown, and it was in Associated Press in another article last week, that these machines can, and with their ballot marking devices, Flip votes or incorrectly tabulate votes, correct? Uh, that's my understanding. I'm not sure exactly what the report, but that has been shown. I think that's one of the issues that Professor Halderman may have identified, uh, you know, as one of the critical vulnerabilities. But there have been there's been demonstration after demonstration. Um, I believe uh, there is a gentleman that was working with Matt DiPerno, uh, Jeff Lenberg. Who showed on uh, who showed how votes could be flipped? I mean, you actually, I I, I know that I've seen that in Kill Chain and yes. in other videos where you know it, it's not difficult to flip votes with these machines. So let me ask you this: How how does this help uh, the case of Mike Lindell? 
So what it shows that is that these machines are easily hackable. And that's what Mike has been saying all along. Right. I mean, he's been saying that China hacked the 2020 election. And this clearly shows that it's certainly possible. Not only is from, it from a source that is, that is unimpeachable. So, you know, you have the, the media likes to say, well, this is all conspiracy theories. But now you have, in this particular instance, Professor Halderman coming forward and saying these machines are vulnerable to attacks that can be exploited to change votes. And it's something that he's consistently said for years. But they also can't disprove that they haven't been hacked. Because as Holderman said, well, that wasn't my job to see if they were hacked, was to show if they could be hacked. So you even got Holderman admitting, we can't disprove they were hacked. Correct. And I don't, it doesn't appear that he even looked. And if you look elsewhere, you know, they say that, you know, never, the votes have never been changed, but they haven't looked. Right. They haven't gone to do an examination of the machine. And so, for example, in the Maricopa, Arizona audit, they, the uh, Marizona, uh, Maricopa Board of Supervisors fought that audit. They did not turn over the routers that were associated with the electronic voting machines. There was deleted data from the voting machines that they knew was under seal, but somebody just before the court ordered them to turn it over ran a script 30,000 times to overwrite all of the data, the log files that would show activity within the machine during the 2020 election. So it's just an example of the obstructionism that, in that case, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors uh, you know, did with respect to the 2020 election. I have also read that, for example, there was an audit of the machines ordered for Fulton County, Pennsylvania. Dominion fought that every step of the way and took them took the, uh, the parties that wanted to do that audit to court. And finally, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, which is 4-3 Democrat, ruled that they could not inspect the Dominion voting machines. Again, what is the secrecy about these machines? This is not hard. These machines do two things. They read ballots, and then they count them. There should be nothing secret about them. If they have nothing to hide, open them up for public inspection. And when I say open them up, I mean open up the source code open up the machines before and after election. Everybody should be able to inspect all of the log files and get all of the data to see if it you know, accurately counted the vote. I mean, look at what happened in Georgia recently. I think Emerald Robinson wrote a great substack that something something like something smells in Georgia or something like that. But there was- And Garland Favorito, and Garland, and Garland Favorito is about to join us to talk about some of this, by the way. I think he may have some very interesting thing. I'll give you one thing that I read, which was just fascinating. So there was a candidate, last name of Witt, and out of 159 counties in Georgia, in 122 of those, he got the same percentage vote, whether it was a deeply red county or a deeply blue county. Well, that, that, you know, that's kind of raises a suspicion as how the heck could that happen? You know, what's also interesting, Kurt, is that... Uh, these voting machines were supposedly updated, were they not? Dominion machines were updated. They, what was it called? The uh, uh, perfect build or something? What was that? Was that? What was the? What were those updates called? Oh, trusted build. Trusted build. 
Yes, in some states, they called it this Orwellian phrase, a trusted build update. So that was ordered in Colorado. And Tina Peters, who is the Mesa County election clerk, was concerned about that update. And she had a forensic image taken before that update was performed and right after the update was performed. And what happened in connection with that update is they just didn't update their computer like you or I think of it. They overwrote the entire operating system. And that destroyed all of the log, log files showing the activity within the machine. But because Tina Peters had the courage and was fulfilling her fiduciary obligation to preserve election records, which is a federal and state law, she has all those logs. And then experts looked at those log files that Dominion destroyed in connection with the trusted build update. And what they found is stunning. And that is what is called Mesa Report 3, which is available on Frank's speech. But that report shows that magically during the early voting period, two new databases were created within the machine. And then magically, ballot record, select batches of ballot record data were then transferred into those new databases. As the experts there testified to, this is not consistent with anything that anybody, our election clerk, or official would have done, that it's a far too complicated an event and did not happen uh, through any kind of authorized conduct. So it denotes hacking. It denotes hacking. Hacking or malicious code within the source code or on firmware or something. But this shows the manipulation of ballot record data, what they call the SHA files, which are attached, which show the originality or the authenticity of the ballot record were destroyed in that transfer, that did, uh, transfer of ballot record data. So there's no way those votes are reliable. And that happened not just in one, but in two elections. So with respect to the Mesa County, Colorado election management server, that those events happened not once in the November 2020 election, but also in a municipal election held in April of 2020. So Kurt, would that have anything to do with the inability to go back and do a forensic audit? Let's say, let's say Alec, Professor Alex Holderman says, okay, I wasn't hired to look if it was done. I was hired to see if it could be done. I've showed you it can be done. Okay, now you wanna hire me to go look to see if it was done? Sure, let's go to Colorado Mesa County. If it, it would the lack of information from the trusted bill that took away that information limit his ability to see if it was hacked? And conversely, would the information that was preserved by Tina Peters help him prove if it was or was not. So in other words, was the trusted bill done to cover tracks? And the fact that Tina preserved it, could that help people like Holderman show, not only can I show you how it's done, but now actually I can go over here, thanks to Tina, and show you that it was done. Well, correct. Uh, so there is no way, if the data is destroyed, that you can see what happened. And that was the effect of this trusted build update. It overwrote the entire operating system. And there, but there are other issues with these machines. So if you wanna, these machines create an auditable log trail. So there are log files, event logs, security logs and so forth that log in anytime there is access, whether it's authorized or unauthorized, it, 
it notes you know different events that happen within the machine, such as we just discussed, the creation of new databases, the digital migration of ballot record data. But there are other security logs in the configuration of these machines, the way that they've the way they've been set up by Dominion, with minimal memory space, so like 20 megabytes. And also on a first-in, first-out basis, with respect to that type of data, as as the time goes on, they're overwritten very, very quickly because the memory storage space for the audit or to, to maintain those logs is so limited. And so these machines, again, they're black box. People don't know how they work. They're configured in a way that prevents an auditable trail to be maintained for a long period of time, certainly within the 22 months that's required under federal law on many issues. And then every step of the way where people have gone in there to try to do an audit, they've been obstructed, whether it's by the Secretary of State in, uh, in Colorado, Jenna Griswold is trying to get a law passed that would prohibit election clerks from con conducting forensic examinations of their voting machines when it's their duty, their fiduciary obligation to their constituents to ensure an accurate vote. So there's a law being, uh, I, I don't know if it's passed yet, but it has uh, been put forth to prevent clerks, basically takes all power away from the clerks and, and leaves it in the hands of the Secretary of State. But the opaqueness around these machines is just stunning. And, and again, it's like, why does it take Professor Halderman to find this out? Where, where was Cecil? Why, why are a privileged few given access to these machines through, in this case, in Professor Halderman's case, a court proceeding. Why is this secret? This is a public function. This isn't proprietary stuff for a commercial venture. These machines are being used to conduct our elections. They should be completely open, and they're not. And the question is, why not? You don't get security through, there's a phrase called security through obscurity. Keeping this stuff secret doesn't make them more secure. Nation state hackers and sophisticated people know how to get into these machines. That's just a given, that's just, that's accepted. But what they're doing is they're keeping the American people in the dark about this. If you opened up the source code, opened up these machines to public inspection, that would go a long way to giving people trust. Put, put a thousand cyber experts around the world, you know, going through the source code, going through through these machines and let them see, uh, is everything on the up and up? I mean, I believe, for example, Dominion, which has operations in Serbia, I think it's been reported, the source code and the software used in these machines, or at least in some of them, is done in Serbia. Well, who checks that? That's just stunning, just stunning. I mean, it, it is. And so the only way to have, in my opinion, a secure vote is a hand count paper ballot. Absolutely. And you can have a pre-based strategy that does that. Anybody who says, oh my gosh, you know, it'll take months to get the result, that's baloney. That's how we used to France. do it back in the 70s and 80s too. And 90s. But France does it to this day. France banned electronic voting machines because of their vulnerabilities and security failures. So France does it with 70 million people. And if France can do it, surely this country can do it. And I'd add that when you look across the country, it's about 50% of the counties in this country have 
fewer than 10,000 voters. And we're talking about a precinct-based and county strategy or process. And that, that brings it down on the precinct level. It could be, you know, at most 2,000 and, and far fewer. So it's very, very simple Absolutely. to have a hand count election. And there's no reason for these machines. I have spoken before certain uh, county executives, and I won't say who, but the response from one of the uh, executives or the board of supervisors was, I don't know how these machines work, but I, but I know they're trustworthy. Oh, wow. And, and that's stunning. But what's even more stunning is the IT professional in the elections department essentially said the same thing. So they're so defensive about the use of the machines. It's not uh, uh, casting aspersions upon them. But these are very, these are complex machines that they don't know how they work, yet they're just trusting them. And then it comes along, you know, Professor Halderman comes along out of the blue, and these machines, which have been used for years, all of a sudden he's like sounding the alarm. And, but what's really stunning is the machines that he sounded the alarm on used in 16 states, they were used in elections in November 21. They were used in the primaries in April and May of 2022. They continued to be used. And CSID comes out there and says, hey, nothing to see here. There's no evidence that these uh, vulnerabilities that Professor Haldeman identified were ever exploited. But again, they never looked. Right. And so what they're trying to do is gaslight the American public into thinking these machines are secure. And, and before we go, Kurt, explain to the audience again what forced the government's hand to have to admit that there are vulnerabilities. What forced their hand? Well, I think the publicity, you know, we started pounding the table about Professor Halderman's report, which was under seal. And then, as I said, public you know, newspapers, I think it was the Georgia Star, uh, in, in, I think that's the name of that publication, you know, started raising public awareness about it and, you know, created a drumbeat. And pretty soon, CISA woke up after six months and entered an appearance. And Professor Halderman, who is a renowned computer scientist and an election security expert, like, like you saw in the clip. He testified before the right. Senate Intelligence Committee. He, he was sounding the alarm about this. So in other words, and the, so, so, in other words, the public, good media doing their job, good journalists doing their job, and the public and documentaries and films and speeches and conferences and symposiums, all of a sudden, the weight of all that was too much. The government had to come out and say, Okay, there are vulnerabilities, but they weren't taken advantage of. They were forced to say that. They've been taken care of. And, and again, where was CISA? Why, why did it take Professor Altman? Why, where, where was CISA when this came up? I mean, so, so again, you look at the certification, you know, the, the, the vaunted certification process for these machines. Well, that clearly failed. You know, so, and, and Professor Haldeman himself says he can get around the logic and accuracy and risk-limiting audits. And the, but the, the idea, I just think this is stunning. The idea that CISA files a notice with the court on May 19th, we're going to issue a public statement on Professor Haldeman's report on June 3rd. The idea that they would leak that statement to select news organizations so they could start messaging just what we're talking about. Nothing to see here, yep. no yep. evidence of exploitation. What, CISA works for us. They work for the American people not for a few select newspaper outlets. Why didn't they disclose that public statement to everyone at the same time? 
Why don't they have a meeting and why don't they investigate all of the machines where these vulnerabilities were identified to see if in fact they had been exploited? Absolutely. That's the real question. This is just theater. It's, it's just atrocious. Absolutely. Excellent guest. Excellent report. Thank you, Kurt. We look forward to what uh, Garland Favorito is about to tell us. It'll fit with what you just told us. So thank you so much, Counselor. I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself. <laughs> thank you, Kurt. Appreciate it. Kurt Olson checking yeah. in. Great interview. And we'll put this up. We'll put this up tonight at frankspeech.com for you to share all over the place. Because you're going to want to share it all, including what you're about to hear. Garland Favorito joins us. Garland, welcome back to Lindell TV and the Lindell Report. Brandon, thank you. It's great to be back with you again tonight. Well, thank you. And I know you got big news, so let's get right to it. Uh, jumping right off of what Kurt Olson's been saying, um, how does this whole scenario fit with uh, your report, what you're about to say in Georgia? Well, we've got the absolute uh, proof, I think, that once again, the voting system um, is producing incorrect results and it appears that there is some type of hack or error in it. We're going away from the world of academic theory. Dr. Haldeman has made some great reports for in the Curling v. Ravensburger case, but now in the last few months, we have gotten into actual real um, uh, evidence of hacks that have already occurred. So just to walk you through, I'm gonna walk you through one or two of them here, this is the latest thing that we just uncovered today. And that was a situation where in DeKalb County, the, the uh, Commission 2 race, and I think we can put this slide up, um, Brandon. I think Logan has a okay. slide number two. Okay. I can, I can show you a little bit. Um, I think the, the, the folks at home can understand better if they can see this for their own uh, at their own. Uh, okay, he's grabbing it. He's grabbing it. While they do that, what okay. is your what is your okay. web what's your okay. website? Because I'm sure you're gonna have stuff on your website about this as um, well. Yeah, voterga.org is the website. We got all wealth of information out there, uh, but um, this is so this is so fresh that we do not have it out yet. So we're getting uh, a are we getting a scoop? By, uh, are we getting a scoop tonight? As far as I know, even the conservative news media haven't really picked up on this yet um, because it's brand new. It was broke, broken by um, a little organization called Decaturish, which is a little uh, online news agency uh, run by Dan Weisenhut for uh, a DeKalb County city called Decatur, Georgia. Okay. And uh, he really he really should get the credit for breaking this. but. The, during the last few days, there have been so many problems, uh, particularly in the District 2 race, that DeKalb County had to hand audit a race. All right, here's, 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 here's the slide if you want to, you need this slide to explain it. Here's the slide. Perfect. Yes, perfect. So they, this was the first race in the 2022 primaries that has been hand audited. So this and only this race has been audited to verify the Dominion voting system results, and Dominion has failed miserably to produce accurate results. This isn't an academic theory coming from CISA. This is actual real life election that is uh, really hasn't even been certified yet. 
So here's what they found. On the, on the top table, this is what the Dominion voting system reported uh, in totality, uh, which includes four redistricted precincts that are not shown on some of the other tables that, that people are, are displaying. At the bottom is the results of a hand count audit that was just uh, finished yesterday, I believe. And as you can see here, there is no, uh, there's no correlation whatsoever between the Dominion voting system actual results and the real counts that were uh, from the hand count audit done by a team of volunteers over a period of uh, probably a couple of days. So um, here's what you we've got. As you can see, um, there are all sorts of discrepancies, and and in every in every single uh, for every single candidate, thousands the vote totals are off by a thousand or more uh, in almost every case. And as a result of the hand count audit, they determined that the wrong candidates were declared to have uh, to have won and and gone to a runoff. Um, and, and I think in the in the Dominion had reported that the runoff should be between Lauren Alexander and Marshall Orson, whereas the hand count audit said that no, it should be between Lauren Alexander and Michelle Long Spears. So uh, they're trying to um, the, they're trying to write this off as a mismatch between the ballot definitions of the ballot marking device and the scanner. Um, well, and this is you know multiple scanners. Some were updated, some were not. I think it's, I think that's what they're going to come back and say. We know that that cannot be true because the uh, Dominion voting system apparently lost 1,500 votes, according to the hand count audit. We also know that it can't just be a mismatch between the ballot marking devices and the scanners because the advanced voting uh, doesn't, doesn't have the same anomalies as the election day voting. Wow. So this is this is concrete evidence that the Dominion system cannot count properly. Wow. And, 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 and this is a very, it's a very smooth, uh, uh, and what appears to be a very smooth algorithm that is, is operating. And if you remember on, on, uh, did on you the just, show, did I you just say, so. did you just say there appears to be a very smooth algorithm working? That's what it looks like. Uh, um, and of course, we don't know until what we want to do is we want to see the balance. And if you remember, I think I was on your show last time and I mentioned to you that it was Governor Brian Kemp who blocked Senate Bill 89, he and Jeff Duncan, which would have unsealed the ballots. And that set the stage for this type of corruption in the 2022 primary. Just a reminder, audience, suddenly, just a reminder uh, audience, that bill was pending and the lieutenant governor was up at the podium and I guess the phone rang and he answered it and the governor shut down the legislature. And that bill was about you know, what, 60 seconds from passing that would have allowed these ballots to be used for verifying the authenticity of an election. And they stopped it. The Republican lieutenant governor and the governor stopped it. 
Exactly. And that was over the objections of the unanimous support of the Republicans in both the House and the Senate in the Georgia General Assembly. They are the majority. They wanted the ballots unsealed just so that we can analyze this type of problem. And Governor Kemp blocked that. And it happened. then he happens to rack up 70-some percent of the vote uh, in election that uh, no one I know talks that I've talked to down here thinks is legitimate in, in reporting. Didn't he win? Didn't he win this last election? Uh, uh, the primary? Didn't he win this last primary by a substantial margin over the last primary he run, he won? Oh, absolutely. And this one, he did not have the Trump endorsement. Last time he did, and and his margin wasn't anywhere near. So what you're saying um, is that it it, it doesn't pass the smell test that he would win his primary with such huge numbers over what he did originally when he did have Trump's endorsement. Now with all the bad press, the bad PR, everything that's come out about him, I mean, the the thought that he could win so heavily and handily just shows you something stinks. Something's not right. Well, Well, right, and that's what Emerald Robinson reported. The other thing that stinks is that the Secretary of State, who was polling at about 18%, suddenly hits 51% on election night and stays there for the entire election. Uh, That is uh, how he managed to triple his his numbers uh, is is amazing. I asked our top pollster in Georgia, uh, Mark Roundtree, how did he go from, I think the the highest poll he had was 39% just a couple of days before the election. How did he go from 39% to 51 and the mark who is probably the top pollster in georgia says he has no explanation for it mm. so that's another race that is un- un- it is crazy but brand just to add one more thing to what we saw today this is not the first time we've had proof of the dominion voting system uh, either being electronically altered or manipulated or producing incorrect results we, I showed you on the show um, a month or two ago, our analysis from March the 7th in our press conference there, I think I, think I was on the show the same day, we showed that the, the uh, ballot images that were uh, are required to produce the results were electronically altered in Fulton County for the 2020 election before the results were certified. And the image is what's used to produce the certified results. So we have two concrete, uh, undisputable cases where we have uh, the, the system simply either being altered physically or producing grossly inaccurate results. Mm. Let's go to the slide. Let's go to the slide here. I have my computer. Georgia's voting system must print an elector verifiable paper ballot. This is according to the federal judge, Judge Amy Totenberg. Um, produce paper ballots which are marked with the elector's choices in a format readable by the elector. Uh, do, I, do, do I have that right? No, this is Georgia's voting that's, system. That's right. That's, this is what the Georgia law is. That's right. And then the U.S. District Judge Court finding found, so let me make sure I clarify this. Georgia's voting system by law must do the two things I just mentioned. Then the judge said this, plaintiffs and other votes which wish to vote in person are required to vote on a system that is none of those things. So the judge is validating, the federal district judge is validating that this is not meeting the Georgia voting system laws, correct? 
That's right. Secretary of State Raffensperger, before, after being warned by me and many others before he was ever Secretary of State, um, uh, purchased this unverifiable voting system over objections. And then the U.S. District Court came along just prior to the 2020 election and found that it violated two Georgia statutes, but uh, they, they couldn't, she couldn't do anything because it was too close to the election. Uh, so no relief was granted. Secretary of State then appeals the decision so that they can keep using that same machine. And now he's using it. He's going to certify the election while keeping all of the ballots secret. Uh, what is, how bad does it have to get here? So, I mean, again, everybody should be jumping up and down particularly the Democrats, I would think, should be jumping up and down, that a Republican governor and a Republican lieutenant, lieutenant governor want to stop there from being the ability to go back and verify the authenticity of the election. And if I were a Democrat, I would say, wait a minute, why, do the Dem why does the Republican governor, lieutenant governor not want me to be able to tell if they're cheating? <laughs> well, shouldn't all the Democrats be jumping up and down? Uh, yes, they certainly should. They haven't jumped up and down as much as they should be. They, um, the, the, they are going to actually um, have, they have actually bipartisan agreement in DeKalb County, and that, that's what generated this audit. Uh, the board, under tremendous pressure, voted to do the audit. And, and delay certification. There were three Democrats and two Republicans uh, on the board. They are all in agreement. And they all seem to be standing up for the people, uh, the voters, not only in DeKalb County, but throughout Georgia. And they want to conduct uh, an, an audit. Uh, and hopefully we're gonna, ho we've asked them to continue conducting audits on other races and not just this one, because this is the only one that's ever had, had its ballots checked. We filed, uh, when, I, when I saw everything was going in an absurd direction on election night, I filed an open records request uh, for the actual ballots, a copy of them in every single Georgia county, it's 159 counties. And we have been uh, trying to get those, a copy of those ballots. They have been fighting us tooth and nail. The Secretary of State's office has in, tried to intimidate them um, and depending upon the time, I can walk you through some of those slides on down there uh, in regards to our open records request. Yeah, let's do that. that let's... So far, we have. Okay. Let's do that. Okay, here's the next one. So, so, yeah. So, Senate Bill 202 uh, explicitly made those about Dominion digital ballot images public record. But then, what we found was that they were electronically altered. Uh, and, and that was, we went through all those different ways on the show about a month or two ago. I think it was the March 7th show. Right. So, so, the, so the, the actual ballots are the only way we can verify the electronic results. So we have to have a copy of the ballots that's independent of the, uh, the, the Dominion voting system. And that was, my, that was my open records request that I submitted um, on the night of of the um, now, now let me go let me go back to this slide here because you 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 are specifically showing an arrow with a question mark your votes accumulated by encoded unverifiable barcodes how can you go back and verify something if these codes aren't done correctly 
uh, you would have to audit the entire race, which is what they did here in DeKalb County, and they found out the results totally don't add up and they're not even close. But you're, so, but these codes, which are supposed to work, these QR codes, and that's, that's what that is, right? Right. Those QR codes don't work. That's that, right. They don't work. Well, I think that DeKalb County proved that today beyond any shadow of any doubt. So the only way now to, to audit an election is to get the ballots and look at each one individually. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And that's what we tried to do. We filed the open records request. And that's when things got really, really interesting. So if we have a couple more minutes, I yeah, can I walk do, but let me just, the open records report. I, I do, but let me make sure I understand. Then that next bullet point, actual ballots are the only way to verify the electronic results. Well, that's the, what the governor, the lieutenant governor, they stopped that bill from passing that would allow you to do that third bullet on this page, correct? That's exactly right, Brandon. Whew. That's exactly right. Whew, what, a, what a bunch of dogs. Okay, on election night, I and filed... Yeah. And, and they, they went against their entire Republican Party to do it. Yeah, so they, Those these, are guys Republicans. Are, these guys are either Democrats wearing the Republican uniform or they don't care about either party. They're just bullied, bought off, blackmailed. I don't know, but something isn't right, you know. Okay, then on election night, you filed an open records request for an independent copy of Republican ballots in all country, uh, counties. Excuse me. Walk us through that, please. That's right. That's right. Uh, that's exactly what I did. So um, I, what's interesting about this is if we can pop the next slide up, that'll show you. Um, uh, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit real quickly about open records request law in Georgia. And we got, and we so got five minutes. Just so, you, just so you know, we got five minutes. Okay. Perfect. We can do it. So the controlling statutes are, are for open records requests are open records request law. What they say is that ballots Ballots are non-exempt records, so they are subject to disclosure before they are sent uh, uh, to the clerk's office of the court after certification. So up until the point of certification, they are subject to disclosure according to the law. So a county has got to either comply with their open records request or they have to cite a specific exemption under ORR law. Uh, the counties are exempted from any liability if they comply with the request in good faith. And if they don't, there's all sorts of penalties. So, um, and I, we can t go a little bit deeper if we go to the next slide. Okay. So here's the actual law, Brandon, in Georgia. We, we've published this so everybody can know uh, what we're trying to do and understand how the law. So all, all of the public records are open for personal inspection and copying unless they are explicitly exempt. And ballots are, that's 5071, uh, 5871. The, the exemption list is in 5872 in Georgia code and ballots are not in the exempt list. So that means they are subject to open records requests unless there is some other statute. So, um, the agencies are required to produce them in three days. And if they can't produce them, they're required to, to tell us what is the legal authority on which they're standing, which they have been unable to do. Um, 
so so what's interesting there is that they have no liability the law protects them if you are if, if they fulfill a request uh they they have no liability for uh for for if for that decision if they made a wrong decision um that they have no liability so the the, the law gives them the incentive to fulfill the request and then no matter although these uh, counties are fighting that tooth and nail and the uh secretary of state's office has issued a really um intimidating letter to them and a, a bulletin to try to prevent them from doing that it has a ton of false information in it that was my last slide but i'm not sure we got time to cover that or not uh go to it real quick that one right there okay go to it guys so the so the 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 um the, yeah so here's what this the secretary of state's legal counsel ryan germany you might remember him if you follow georgia closely has issued this bulletin with all this false information in it. Uh, he tries to say that ballots, um, he uses a statute that has nothing to do with, he says, you can't touch or possess the ballots. Well, we asked for a copy of the ballots, you know, so that, that statute doesn't apply. And then he tries to say that the ballots are always, un, should be kept under seal, but according to Georgia law, they're only kept under seal after, or required to be under seal after the election is certified and the ballots are delivered to the clerk of the court. Uh, then he, he tried to reference uh, another case, it's case law uh, regarding the ballots. That case had nothing to do with ballots. It was about a CD-ROM that had proprietary information. It was already under seal. So he tried to take a quote out of that, which didn't apply at all. Then in the same bulletin, um, he uses uh, another uh, quote saying that uh, that you you um, cannot um, let's see here under no circumstances your local election officials make copies of the voter ballots. This would open you up to allegations of copying ballots or attempting to stop the ballot box. Completely true, uh, false. First of all, the ballots would be on a different paper, so you know that they're not real ballots. And the uh, law, as we already talked about, explicitly. Uh, says that that a, a elections director has has no liability for doing that, oh. and then finally the last one, uh, physical ballots other than ballot images that would be part of the certified election project are not subject to public public disclosure, and specifically prohibited by law from being open to disclosure. Well, notice that the legal counsel doesn't doesn't excite anything to back up that statement. And I've just shown you the actual law that proves that the Secretary of State's legal counsel is lying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there you have Wow. Big news. Uh, Georgia, uh, VoterGA.org, VoterGA.org. Garland, thank you so much. Great breaking news tonight. And sounds like a, pretty much an exclusive tonight. Pretty close. All right. Other than one one little paper, yeah. one little paper in Georgia has put this out, right? I think so. I, I think I think I think there was one other story that came out today. Well, give the name the of the guy. Like get, let's make sure we name the guy. We should get some credit to. What's that gentleman's name? We should give credit to. Uh, Dan Weisenhunt of Decaturish, uh, well, who broke it first. Thank thank him for us as well. All right. Thank you, Garland. VoterGA.org. Thank you, folks. Again, hope you're supporting us. Support Mike Liddell's work and this network. Go to MyPillow.com. Use that promo code L77 so we can keep this information coming. 
We are listener supported. We rely on you. MyPillow.com, promo code L77. We need to see this support, folks, to keep everything going. Thank you for doing that. Now, here is the Worldview Report. Take care. You're watching Lindell TV.